Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Dylan Stewart of North Star Investors. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thank you for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Dylan is the CEO of North Star Investors. North Star specializes in mobile home and RV park investments in Texas and Ohio. Their current portfolio totals over 500 lots. After graduating from high school in 2017, Dylan dove right into single-family real estate investing. He completed many wholesale deals in his local market and then pivoted in 2018 to run a virtual wholesaling operation primarily in St. Louis, Missouri. Since the spring of 2020, his company only focuses on finding, buying, and stabilizing value-add mobile home and RV parks. Dylan, we are excited to welcome you to the show, brother. Yeah, Andrew, excited to be here with you and your listeners. Yeah, man. Can you start out by telling us your story and how you got into manufactured housing and maybe tell us a little bit about North Star because I know you uh, had a previous partnership you know, and you guys were on the, the podcast previously and kind of where you're at now. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of hit on the high level stuff there. So, you know, pivoted from single family into mobile home parks. And, you know, I always say it was just God's great timing. We were actually selling a single family deal and the seller said, hey, I'm not looking to buy, but I'm a small mobile home park. We'd, we'd sell you. And so it, uh, it was in Muscuda, Illinois, not too far from your Edwardsville project. And so Bought that with friends and family and then a small one right across the street. And then uh, throughout 2020, it's decided to step back from single family, just focus on the parks. And then the beginning of 21 really decided to say, hey, let's let's kind of ramp this up. And so my prior partner and I, we we decided to grow the portfolio from 22 lots to just under 500 um, in the following 12 months. And that was across Texas, Ohio, Minnesota and Illinois. And then, you know, him and I went separate ways about the middle of 2022 just no longer alignment of, of values and vision. And that's totally okay. And so ended up buying him out of seven of our nine parks at that time. And then really just got a lot of clarity on what, uh, you know, I want to create moving forward. And so since then and bought two other parks in Texas and, you know, that's really what we're trying to focus on is we grew a lot. We grew quickly. And I think when you're so focused on building a team and, uh, you know, acquiring projects or different things, you just kind of almost do it because you feel like you should. Right. And so I think over the past, you know, few months and especially coming out of the holiday season, it's been really nice to reflect and decide what we want to build the company on uh, moving forward. And so really, we're trying to get uh, and become specialists in kind of the, the Texas market, specifically starting out in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, really specializing on 50 plus uh, mobile 50 plus spaces and mobile home and RV parks. And then as well as we're going to start incorporating some storage facilities this year as well. So really excited for what's on the horizon. Very cool. Well, kudos, man, for your your success. What do you think has been the toughest hurdle that you've had to overcome in mobile home park investing? Yeah, I think everybody kind of says the same stuff with operations. And for us, that that definitely had been the the growing pains is, you know, when we had 
focus for one on, on value add projects. And, you know, we were chasing a return. We were trying to, you know, get our investors great return, which we've been able to do that. But in order, we have to earn our money in that aspect to where we're focusing on heavy value add, you know, increasing occupancy, doing a lot of turnaround on these parks. And so that was a lot for us. And, you know, it still is a lot for us. And so, you know, one thing that we've kind of pivoted to do is focusing on longer horizons instead of trying to pick up these deals that we can turn around in two years and, and refi and or sell, which we're able to still do that with our existing portfolio, but maybe focusing on, you know, quality assets to where, you know, the market is going to support because there's high demand, there's high economic growth, there's high income and different things. And so that's kind of what we've learned. Um, and I think just the hardest thing is, of course, integrating everybody, the full teams, right? When you look at the site managers, to the construction managers, to the contractors, to our in-house regional managers, to, you know, the COOs and owners and our virtual assistants. And so for us, as any company grows quickly, you kind of have to, you know, put those systems and processes in place, which we didn't have that at all times. And, you know, talking to you and other operators and, and really, I made a LinkedIn post the other day about one of our goals is dialing in our data and you know, really understanding the metrics and the pulses of our business when it comes to occupancy, collection, um, our violations, our timelines, our budgets, our recapture rates, and different things that we didn't really always have a pulse on that. And uh, that's, that was our growing pain. And I think a lot of people would echo that. But when you're trying to build a company, it's hard to scale without the, that data and information. And so we're like, hey, we need to, this is the standard that we're doing with you know, North Star investors moving forward. And you're really making sure that um, we have that information. So as we acquire new parks, we have data, but we can also make database decisions rather than off of maybe intuition or what we think um, the market should be doing. We have facts. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's really important in, in making sure your KPIs are set up and you have you know, proper tracking of those. I mean, that was a game changer for us, but I know growing you know, right around that 500 lot mark beyond that it was just really tough because you, you probably couldn't afford some of the team members that you'd like to have right now. And then I remember using cash flow from my early deals to like pay for salaries of employees. And, you know, it, it just, it was, it was tough for a while there, but once you get, you know, maybe over a thousand lots or so you, you have that scale where you can really, you know, sector off divisions of the company. And especially on the property management side of things, it's a lot of work, but tell me this, Dylan, you know, when you first got into the business, you bought that 22 lot park in Illinois, you know, how has your like investing strategy changed now? I mean, I know one thing you said was you were, you were doing uh, a bunch of locations. Now you're focused, hyper-focused on that Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, Texas market. Uh, what else has changed? You know, is there anything specifically that like for a passive investor listening that you'd, you'd be like, up? Oh, I wish we didn't do that, or I wish we didn't buy that one. You know, we should have focused, you know, just in Texas or, you know, what would that like learning curve look like? Yeah. So I think there's so many, right. Where to start. One of them that comes to mind is of course, utility infrastructure. And you've talked heavily about this with some of your other guests. And it's so funny because as entrepreneurs is, you know, we all have pride and ego, Oh, we'll try something, you know, or different things. And that's one thing that I no longer will be doing is, is purchasing a park with a wastewater treatment plant. One of the, I say, first official parks we bought was after that 22 lots, the 42 space park outside of uh, Toledo, Ohio is on a wastewater treatment plant. And it's been great. You know, we've been paying our distributions. We've been hitting our good returns, uh, but it's just been an additional issue that probably shouldn't be there. And so I think the utility infrastructure and what that's like, and then in, in regards to the, the age of the homes and the size of the lots, 
because if we're trying to produce this really high quality asset, but all of the homes are maybe, you know, 70s, you know, high 60s, 70s, maybe some 80s, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a need for that in a specific market, but does my company want to be the ones, you know, managing and, and turning those around? And so I think that the quality of the overall asset is, is really important because in, in, you know, certain projects that I'm thinking of, if we bring on new homes, different thing, that's going to be great. But if 80% plus of the homes are all very old, there's nothing wrong with that. But what is the, the resale value? Is it easier for tenants to walk away when they, you know, can't afford the home anymore or something breaks? It, if the home needs to be renovated, is it worth it? Or do we just put a new home on there? So secondly, I think is just the overall park, you know, as age of the homes. And then the third thing, in, in addition to the utility kind of sewer system, is also just the overall infrastructure, right? You know, we have a project specifically in Texas that we just had continued issues with, you know, water lines and things breaking or having to do repairs and different things that probably could have been avoided if we'd done more thorough due diligences of, you know, making sure that we're scoping all the lines and doing, you know, cameras and, you know, flushing them out on a more frequent basis. But the reality is as well is that's also an older park. And so, the biggest pivot that we're continuing to make, again, is focusing on longer horizons to where we focus on buying better assets. Maybe we're paying a little bit more. So instead of refining year two, we can do three or four or five, but there is maybe less headaches, more consistent operations. And like you look at these bigger operators, these higher quality assets in any kind of asset class, there's always going to be a demand for it, right? Rather than having that park in the middle of nowhere that you know, it is great. But what about the ones that have high demand when there's always going to be people wanting to acquire them, to finance them, and it just makes it easier all around. So those have been a few learning lessons. You, uh, you, you had some good golden nuggets there. I would say one thing you said that I, I resonated with was, you know, consistency, right? Like consistent operations, consistency with like what to expect from your utility infrastructure, all that flows down to consistent returns for investors, right? And like, what in, what matters most is consistency of that cash flow, consistency of that income stream. So I agree with you. You know, those better quality assets are key. Tell us about the RV park dynamic. I know you've you know been bullish on that. Maybe you can speak to that and like how you like this hybrid of like there's some MH lots, there's some RV lots, and kind of what has been you know working for you guys with that. Yeah, so clearly our, our focus has been mobile home parks. And as we are looking for parks, of course, we come across RV parks. I think every operator would, would say that to be true. And in Texas specifically, the reason that I like that market is for one, the growth that's going on no matter what. But when you look at just the the demand, and I think also as silly as it sounds is, is the weather. There's always going to be people like it's it's probably more likely that someone's going to live in their fifth wheel in Texas than it is northern Minnesota, right, yeah. or or someplace like that. And so for us now we look at what the um, the the landscape is as a market, and so and then we look at economic drivers of what's going on and who may be living in a fifth wheel to where these are sixty sixty thousand plus uh, dollars for these fifth wheels, folks, families that are making great income. They need a place to stay, if, whether if whatever industry or construction or they're traveling that they're working in, they want to have a nice uh, park to stay in. And so for us, we found that for one, we're getting significantly higher lot rents. And so we focus on long-term RV parks. So um, we have two uh, RV parks exclusively, and then we have one hybrid park to where it's mobile home and RV. 
And so for the RV parks, we focus with long-term residents to where maybe in that market, our lot rents is, let's say, 375 but we can push 485 a month for you know, monthly RVs. But it's the exact same thing. These folks are staying there for months at a time or years at a time. They're paying higher lot rent. We're billing back for the electric. Sometimes we can include water and sewer, but most often that's included in the lot rent. Um, the demographic overall is typically higher. And it's just, it's, it's a mobile home park kind of on, on steroids a little bit. And so I, I have a small frame of reference with only owning two, you know, exclusive RV parks, but so far they've, they've been good. And, and when you look at the, you know, my model has been more, maybe a little bit under market lot rent, you have higher occupancy and not focus as much on transient, but it's, it's worked well for us. And so um, as we focus again on what our business model is, we then can build out the the operations better, the team better, our, our full dynamic to where if we decide to incorporate maybe some more transient short-term RV parks, we already have that established in that area. So, And uh, so your your RV park model is more long-term, right? You're, you're looking for uh, long-term people that are living in these RV parks, right? Yes. Yeah. And we have some sections that are for overnights, but it's less okay. than usually 10%. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. In some parts of the country, that's just not a viable option. You know, like even, I mean, really the, I mean, we had a park in Ohio and that wasn't, you know, viable. So I would say most of the country, that's not going to be an option. So that's interesting. And then tell me about the financing. Cause I know you have these like hybrids with like mobile home and RV park kind of combos, you know, what does the financing look like for that? Yeah. So again, coming from the single family space, we've learned to always go direct to seller or, or maybe buy from a wholesaler. Right. And so pretty much every, so of the 11 parks that um, we've purchased, only 10 of them have all been direct to seller. And then only one recently was from a broker and you know still was able to negotiate a great deal on that. And so with these specific sellers, we've been able to structure a lot of owner financing. So of the eight parks that I own right now, four of them are, are seller financing. And then the other four, you know, we have local banks or some sort of bridge financing on them. And so with the RV parks, my experience is it's easier to structure seller financing because banks maybe aren't as bullish on them because still maybe we're looking for a value add asset, mom pa owned, and you know it's not a full company because really it's you're buying a business somewhat when these banks are looking at them because they have different amenities or different things, and so when it's an established business or RV park, banks aren't as hesitant. But when it's maybe just a long term RV park there's not as much uh, that banks want to look at. And so for us, we've found it very, very um, a viable option to structure a lot of creative financing. And that is one of my goals this year is understanding the, the debt options more as well. Um, but seller financing has worked very well, and especially the landscape that year. And before we started, you said you got quoted for an 8% rate on an acquisition financing. The last seller financing I closed on, I think we were at four and that was back in October, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just, it allows us to still get some uh, some good financing options. Yeah. I mean, obviously seller carry whenever you can get it is a, a strong and powerful tool. So that's pretty awesome. Which again, um, I just, I will say too, it depends on the asset, right? Because I may be looking sure. at smaller assets versus if you go to a larger park, they're going to expect for it to be cashed out. Definitely. Where do you see opportunity right now? Like what is like a, a, a strike zone type of deal for you that like you feel is, you know, your criteria, a deal that you would buy? Yeah, I think buying in different states with different park sizes, park owned versus tenant owned, different utility structures, different things. For me, I, I like to 
I don't want to say hedge my risk, but be more secure by the market. And so for us, we're really trying to focus in on hot markets that are growing. Maybe the competition's a little bit higher. Maybe they're a little bit more overpriced. Maybe we're not buying as many deals, but when we do land that deal, we know that there's going to be consistent demand. There's going to be exit strategies. There's going to be a lot of people wanting to throw financing on it. The investors are going to understand that market because they hear about it and, and the growth and different things. And so really that's, I think, a big shift in what makes a good deal and what I'm looking for the opportunity is in the market, right? And when you look at these guys that I've been educating a lot of the bigger investors and what they've been doing is, is they look on long enough horizons. I know I've said that many times, but you're like, oh, they overpaid for that deal. But yet five years, seven years down the road, they're making massive amounts of money because it's a high quality asset in a good location with lots of demand. And the quality of the end buyer is going to be looking through a totally different lens than me buying a 42 space park, you know, an hour outside of Toledo, Ohio on private utilities. That's a totally different buyer than the 80 space park, you know, 30 minutes outside of DFW. And so for us, that's the opportunity we're looking at is how we can come in. And the opportunity that we're really focusing on is being very specialized and focused because for my goals is I don't at least have the desire right now to be across, you know, 30 states and, you know, big company. So what that allows for our company to do is if we are specialized in the area, every contractor, every broker, every agent, every other operator, every single family investor, every person in that market knows that North Star Investors and Dylan Stewart buys mobile home RV parks and storage facilities in this area. And so when those come up, we may maybe earn the opportunity to see those first. And so that's an opportunity I think that people miss out on when they're going so wide, the relationships aren't as deep. So we're trying to really specialize in that so that we can uh, have the right to see those deals first. Yeah, that makes sense. I know we were talking about your maintenance crew and how since you have all these parks in Texas, you know, very close together, you have a really good maintenance crew that you're able to get out to these, these homes and get things fixed up. So that's huge. Dylan, what mistakes have you made, you know, in mobile home park or RV park investing that you think we could learn from? Yeah, I think from our experience is was scaling too quickly, honestly, is, is you can get too focused on the next acquisition. It's exciting, you know, or additional cash flow or an additional acquisition fee or what it uh, might be. And so for us, that has been a mistake is because you kind of miss out or look forward to the opportunity rather than being a, a really good steward of what you already have and making sure that what you have is firing on all cylinders, collections are high, our occupancy is very high in different things to where that was probably a mistake. And so now being off on my own, making sure that all of those cylinders are firing, you know, full speed, but it's more difficult to catch up rather than just doing it right from the beginning. And so, you know, now as a company, we decided to take a step back from acquisitions, be really good with what we have. And then, you know, maybe spring, early summer, great. Everything's firing on all cylinders. Now let's grow because we have an amazing team that understands the industry. We have the processes in place and, you know, we can scale with, you know, predictability. And so I think a lot of people do that is, is they try to grow and grow and grow. But what I kind of uh, makes people look away from the issues is maybe some cash flow or acquisition fees or different things. But it's like, if you dig deep, you're like, what's going on there in, in your operations? And so um, for us, we we want to be really good with with the operations as a whole. Totally. And then looking through the eyes of a passive investor, you know, we're talking LPs. Like, what should they know, you know, before investing into mobile home parks? Like, from from your experience and your exposure, like, what would be like the top three things you would say? Hey, you know, 
as, a, as an unbiased third party, hey, if your dad was going to be investing into mobile home parks with another operator, what would you tell him to look out for? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for one is trusting the, the person that you're investing with, right? Because if things change and things evolve or things might go sideways and you have to course correct, but do you have complete trust and faith in the individual that hell or high water, they're going to do everything they can. They're going to stretch you know, to make that deal happen, to protect their capital, to hit the targets, even if that means stretching the timeline a little bit. So that's the first and foremost. And then secondly is, is getting a track record, right? And say, hey, you know, so everybody's got to start somewhere. So take that with a grain of salt, but most people have a handful of deals under their belt. And so ask them, say, hey, you know, I would like to play some funds with you, but I'd love to see existing projects and not just where you're at, but how is your actual collections? What is your outstanding balance report? What is your occupancy looking like? And kind of get a feeling for how they, they operate. And a lot of people, they might say, oh, I'm not willing to, to give you that information. That's, you know, confidential. Okay, that's fine. But then does it check the other boxes as well of seeing that they have the capacity to handle the operations, right? Do they have the people in place and the processes? Because you, you really have to shift from being an entrepreneur to a business owner and running a company. And companies run with meetings and cadences and metrics and accountability. And so making sure that if you're investing with someone that they have that structure in place, because that means that all the departments are going to be operating at the highest level because they're tracking it. And so those are probably the three things that I would look for uh, if, if my dad was passively investing in another <laughs> operator there. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing. What do you think the future of mobile home park investing looks like, you know, and, and uh, you know, with the interest rates going up and, and being higher and the, the possible re recession, what do you think mobile home parks look like the next 24 months? This is, you know, January 2023 as we're recording this. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll get to see, right? We'll get to see one thing that, that we're personally doing and I'd encourage investors and operators to do is, is be in a very liquid position, right? Because for one, that gives you confidence, but that also gives you patience because as deals may not pencil the way you expected them to, if you don't need to have another acquisition fee or more cash flow because you're secure in your own finances, then you can make clear decisions. And so that's what I'm seeing is I don't want people to jump to move quickly to buy the right deal because if they had more reserves, they can maybe wait a little longer. They can negotiate a little harder. They can structure something creatively with the seller that maybe buys them some more time. And so I think at the end of the day, we're in this space because there's, there's a need of this affordable housing in the country, but there's also so much opportunity. There's still mom pause that are going to be selling. I think we're going to notice a lot of operators that need to get out of uh, maybe some debt that's coming due, some deals that aren't cash flowing the way they need to. And so there's opportunities for investors to come in and kind of fix those problems. And so for us, we're, we're still going to be hunting for deals and the right ones. Uh, I'm not really worried, to be honest, because it's like if you have the confidence, the patience and the team behind you, when you find those right deals, you can really capitalize on them. And so I, I think that, yeah, I, I guess we'll see. But, um, you know, not getting over leveraged as well, because I think a lot of people will do that to where um, they're excited about the market, but they're taking on more than they can handle. And so um, just growing strategically. But um, I think things will be okay. And, you know, those who are prepared and also those who aren't, aren't afraid to kind of double down, like that's one thing, again, that we're doing is being really good with networking and relationships, because as things shift and change, 
and markets happen, you want to have those people in your corner that you can call upon for, uh, for help or, or advice because then it's less scary. Definitely. I think one of the things you said was just having liquidity. I think that's you know something we've been doing and building up over the last 24 months to prepare for this next 24. And you know, there's been times like recently where we went over on a CapEx budget, you know, supply costs and things are more expensive than we projected. And, you know, as a GP, having that money to be able to put that in the project to get through that tough time instead of having to stall everything and wait until the cash flow can pay for you know, X, Y, and Z really makes a difference, especially when you're in a rising rate environment like we are now, where, you know, a couple months can mean hundreds of thousands of dollars in extra interest over the, over the refi loan. So Dylan, thank you so much, dude, for hopping on here with me. How can listeners get a hold of you if they'd like to do so? Yeah, we have our website, northstarinvestors.com, LinkedIn, Facebook, Dylan Stewart, you'll find me. Um, if someone wants to send me an email, it's just ds at northstarinvestors.com. Awesome, Dylan. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at PassiveMHPInvesting for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.